Hello, my name is Jack Elliot Hobbs, and welcome to Unlived Lives, a philosophical YouTube series and podcast in which we explore the lives my guests are not living and why. If you hear any unmotivated sound, it's likely to be my two dogs enjoying life entirely in the present, unaware of any disruption they may be causing. I hope you enjoy listening. My guest in this episode had a career as a professional dancer and choreographer before studying and teaching Pilates-based body awareness in North London. She has since further trained as a somatic movement educator, practitioner and teacher and is one of only nine teachers trained in the UK. She is a faculty member for Embody Move a member of STEM and a junior visiting teacher on programs for the School of Body-Mind Centering. Her passion for this work inspires her to make it available and accessible to all. She believes it provides incredible opportunities to enable, enhance, encourage and support both body and mind. Andromeda Graziano, welcome to Unlive Lives. Thank you. So lovely to have you. Thank you so much for coming. Tell me about somatic movement. It enables every cell in my body to feel everything, which enables unconscious repatterning. And we all hold something in our bodies that hasn't quite sat well with us for whatever reason. You could have fallen off a horse and injured yourself, or you could have had a fright from witnessing something. And that memory is held in every cell in your body. And every cell in your body has that conscious memory. And until you visit that space of memory, it's held. And that's how we get pain. And that's how we get disease. Mm. Because the cellular memory just continues to replicate and hold. So it's, a, it's an entry point but it's done in such a beautiful way that it really does enable you to release. And it's not from a mental perspective, it's from a physical. So it's far less traumatic. Mm. So trauma held in, in the body. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Mm. And, and is there a way to, to change that? Is that what, is that what your practice is, is about? Is yeah. That very much so. And, yeah. Very much so. It's about finding where in the body, for each person, it will be a different place. Okay. Where in your body do you hold your memories, your trauma? There are the usual places in the body. 
And this is also based on traditional Chinese medicine, like the lung holds anger. I'm not the lung, the liver holds anger. The lungs hold grief. Okay. The spleen holds sorrow. Um, so there are traditional places where certain types of emotions are held. Mm. And if they're not released, they can cook. <laughs> sure. Mm. Um, but then there are like, you know, other places like um, the nervous system, of course. But the nervous system, we just tend to think of it as being one thing. But there are about nine branches to the nervous system. And each branch does a different thing. Wow. So it's about discovering through, it's called embodied anatomy. Okay. So you go to a specific system in the body, you discover the entry point for that person. And through uh, somatizations of somatic engagement of hands-on, of moving, of encouraging and discussion as well, but it's normally mostly body work. We allow the body to release, which then informs the mind. Okay. So we go bottom up rather than top down. Okay. Oh, that's so interesting. Because, yeah, I know absolutely nothing about it, so it's very interesting to, to hear about it. When do you most feel at home? When I'm on a beach. With my feet in the sand. What is it about that experience? I think there's, I think it's just a feeling of home. My son asked me the other day where it is that I, how I want to be buried or cremated. Mm. And I said, I want to be cremated and I want to be scattered on a beach in Sicily. Mm. I was born here. But it's only when I'm in Sicily that I can feel my feet on the ground. Mm. And the earth there is red, and here it's brown and clayish. Uh, and it does that to my body. When mm. I, but when I think of that red earth in Sicily, and of the, the sand and the sea, and there, there's something about the, the earth there. So I'm always better when I'm near the coast or on the coast. When did you discover that about Sicily? Recognize or discover? Hmm. Well, maybe recognize and then discover. Oh, sorry, discover and then recognize. Because it's always been, I've always been, my my best childhood memories are from when I was there. Right. You know, if you think, if I had, if I think of kind of like those rose-tinted glasses memories of childhood, it's from there. Hmm. And there aren't any rose-tinted childhood memories from here. So I don't know if it's through association of that. But also in going back and returning, and each time I've returned, I've always felt this massive pull as I'm on that runway on that airplane and I'm taking off and there's this real lack of desire of leaving. Mm. And the only other time I feel that lack of desire of leaving is when I have to leave... Um, my home where I have my partner and my son and I'm going away for work 
and I have to leave them and there's that lack of desire of leaving. So I would say home is within me. Mm. But if I had to create a place, it's always where there's a beach. I'm just, I don't know, I just drop. I settle. Is there a memory of your childhood and your parents that comes to mind in Sicily? Well, it's not with my parents. Okay. <laughs> they they were the instigators of they would take that they would take me there but the the memory of sicily is of just being in a bikini i like being i guess that is that kind of just being a beach being on the beach in a bikini feet in the sand wind blowing through the hair easy no worries no and even if there are there's a way of processing it because the landscape isn't still okay so with the tidal of the Mm. sea and the rolling it you know the information is always coming in and out and you have perspective and you get the horizon and you can there's a cycle there's something yeah Mm. the what the only constant is change that's guaranteed in Mm. life anyway so but when you're like I am now, I'm stuck in a 1920s house on a road with a whole series of other 1920s houses. And the only reason why I know it's my house is because opposite my house, there's a guy that's put a red telephone box in his garden. That's why I know that that's where I live. Not because I know that it's my house, but I know his house and I know his telephone box. It's all, so, it's all the same and it's all pebble dashed and it's all... absolutely so yeah where would you prefer to call home I don't even know if it's in this country Mm. if it was in this country I like the east coast so around the um, South Wald and Walberswick area which is quite small and quiet big enough to have something in it, but there's also like a sense of community. And the beach is a, regardless of whenever you go, apart from New Year's Day, bizarrely enough, it's always quiet. There's only about five or six people on the beaches. Mm. It's never chaos. Might be chaos this summer though, because since nobody can go abroad. Mm-hmm. So that's where we have, we have looked at that. But there's a lack of quality of life in this, in in the UK. And there's a lack of quality of food, which as an Italian, Mm. I crave. Um, So there is also a desire to look further afield. But I don't know whether I would go back to Italy itself, because their organization is atrocious. And I'm really well, I'm really organized. So I think I would battle with that. Mm. I don't know. Mm. Do you have a technique for keeping calm? Yes, breathing. But not like the in and out through the nose sort of stuff. It's a body-mind centering technique. And it's called the autonomic rhythm. 
and this rhythm it, this rhythm is developed uh, in day 19 of your embryological development in the womb. Wow. And it's only there for a few hours, but it then informs each and every cell in your body until your last breath. And it's a fluid rhythm, which is probably why I like the sea and the rolling waves. Mm. And at day 19, we're just two discs we are the endoderm disc at the front which will become all of our organs and we're the ectoderm disc at the back which will become all of our nervous system so we don't even have a heart a spine muscles nothing yet and these two discs the one at the front and the one at the back something has to change to create development so what happens is, is that there's a small opening on the back disc. And so the fluid from the back comes through and hits the disc at the front. And then the disc at the front, that fluid rebounds and hits the disc at the back. And this is the beginning of the dialogue between the two to form a third disc. Oh, and it's wow. the third disc that forms our blood, our heart, our bones, our limbs, our muscles, and our reproductive system. That sounds like all our physical being. Mm. Mm. And this rhythm of fluid, which goes back and forth, if I get into a state of anxiety, I just find that rhythm in me. Because it's, it's ever-present, it's just that our addictions <laughs> cover it up. Mm. Um, so I find that. Mm. Speaking of addiction, mm. in what ways are you prone to it? Um, I'm still figuring out why it is that I need order. Because I, I, I'm, I'm weaning myself, myself off the need for order. But I was brought up in a, in, in a house that was very tidy always and very clean and very kind of ordered. So I am very ordered, but I'm slowly trying to wean myself. And my partner is just like a whirlwind of chaos. Right. And it's really good because it kind of balances my... But I do get to the point where by which I just go, can you please just move that thing? It's been there for three weeks. <laughs> and because it, it does something to me, but I'm still trying to understand the what. So I think one addiction is the need for tidiness. Um, and I've started this week to stop smoking, which is an interesting journey. I have to say congratulations. Thank you. And it's not, is it easy? Yes, it's, it's been easy so far, but mm. that's because it's the first time in my entire life of smoking that I've made the choice to stop. There's a desire to stop. And I don't know why that's there. Okay. So this is all really new. Mm. I've never wanted to stop. But I do now. Mm. But I don't know why. 
Has lockdown had any effect on you? In the smoking, I smoked more mm. because I got bored. <laughs> but I don't think it was—I I don't think it was that. There's something that shifted, but I don't know what yet. I can feel that something shifted, mm. but I don't know what. Mm. I'll discover. In due course, perhaps. Something will tell me. Mm. To what extent do you feel that life is elsewhere? <clears throat> I think it's everywhere. I don't think there is a separation. I think that our bodies are simply containers for a spirit that enters, but then a spirit leaves, but it doesn't stop, it continues. Mm. It's that simple. We're just, we're, ju we're just a mirror of what the universe is doing. Mm. But in a physical form right here, right now. And in the sense that you'd like everything to be ordered and just so, if it, how would life be, I won't say better, but how would life be more present if things were ordered rather than if things, if, if it can't, they, I've, I realise they can't be. You need chaos. Mm. Chaos creates form and cosmos creates process. So you need the chaos. You need the yin and yang. You need the ordered nutter like me with the chaotic tumbleweeds like my partner. That's why it works. Tumbleweed, I think I... Do you know that kind of, in, in, in the desert, it just goes... So that's and it, and that's what he's like. Term. Yeah, that's what he's like. He's just... You know, yeah. I'll be all right. Let's go. Let's go do this. Oh, let's go to this. Let's go. pack a bag. Let's go. And I'm like, oh... Mm. Oh, okay, okay, you know, and, and it's great because um, each enables the other. Mm. You mm. can find that balance and it, yeah. and it moves one way and then it moves yeah. another. And it has to. Mm. Constantly, as oh, you said, yeah. change is inevitable. Yeah. yeah, the only constant is change. That's guaranteed. There's nothing, there's not, not one cell in your body is the same now as it was two minutes ago. Mm. At what point in your life were you able to realise that and be able to... Because in order to create change, in order to bounce and rebound off of somebody's stimulus, say, you know, there's a tumbleweed in the room, actually, can we a bit... At what point could you say, actually, can we be a bit more ordered? Not necessarily in your relationship, but in your life. At what point... Were you able to go in your own voice? No, I don't like that. Or can we have it this way? To have the courage to speak up and say your truth. Mm. <laughs> November 2007. Okay. Okay. That's when I found my voice. Mm. And from that day onwards, I've spoken my truth, regardless of how difficult my perception of speaking out could possibly be 
um, I think I made myself a promise that I would never create the white picket fence ideal version of mm. life for myself first and, and then for everybody else around me. And you had that before, that idea mm. that things should be. Picture perfect. Right. Yeah. Okay. Where did that come from? Uh, it came from a very, uh, a, a, almost a lifelong need to hold the boat still in the stormy water. Right. And actually what I recognised was sometimes you just have to jump out that boat and swim. <laughs> or just go with the rock. Mm. And maybe even enjoy the chaos. It's not easy, mm. but it's about self-understanding. Why is it that I am who I am? Why do I tick in a certain way? And if you can better understand why it is that you tick in a certain way, you can better understand how that is productive, how that enables you to function in a, in a good way with others. And if it doesn't, then you understand it better to make the changes required. Maybe. Mm. And also, once you know that, perhaps in yourself, then when somebody tries to use that against you, I know this about me already. Mm. I've heard the uh, the statement before self-knowledge is a superpower because if somebody tells me that you know to get a haircut you know I'm I don't need to have a haircut I'm quite happy with the way my hair is you know mm. or or something similar I remember as as a kid though really struggling with that and and I think um, I think we perhaps all have a moment of of going. Actually, I can I can push back on this, mm. and it's okay. Mm. I'm still only I'm still playing with it. I'm still discovering it. Sure. So it's, it's it's quite a new thing. It's only since 2007. So it's not that long that I've recognised that. You know, my first word was no, and. Uh, there's a basic understanding. I understand now why it is that I take the way that I do, and that's because um, when I, I was born with, um, I was born with a valve in my stomach that was blocked. So my first experience of being in this world was five days of slow death. So that does something to your nervous system, doesn't it? Mm. That tells you you're dying. Mm. <laughs> so I did spend Already. most of, yeah. So I did spend most of my youth thinking I was going to die and not understanding why. Mm. And not even youth, in, even into my 30s, I was convinced I was going to die at any moment. And that's because that's my first, you know, they, they, your first memory of this earth is your first breath. And in your first breath, you inform your entire body of how you are feeling. So it's only, you know, from 
understanding through this work of body-mind centering, through the work of somatics, is understanding that is my baseline. So my job now is to reinform my baseline that I'm actually fine. And that takes a completely different realm of how I look at everything. Because I'm no longer thinking, I'm going to die. Mm. I'm thinking, I'm fine. Is that still, does that still have to be a conscious thought for you? Occasionally, yeah, because I, I have a pattern. Mm. And patterns don't just, you know, disappear. It's a bit like, the, you know, the smoking is changing the patterns, actually. Not about the stopping smoking, it's about changing the patterns of when you have them and where you have them. Mm. So for the pattern of this kind of fear of death it's about letting go because you hold on too tight to the fish it slips out and so what would be a good death for you I've already discussed this as well with my son he he said it's 108 we've agreed it's um, i'm 108 and i'm healthy of body and mind and i just go in my sleep because it's just time so i'm okay with that version <laughs> that sounds sounds like a that's good the plan way yeah that's the current plan hmm so you you have a you have a son. I do. And he's 16. He is. And so what are the best things that you owe to your parents? I don't owe them anything. That's the first thing. I think relationship is about process. And I think we go through this process that we're born and we're the children and they're our parents and then we become the teenager and we grow our own mind and then we move into supposed adulthood and then there's that changing point where you become a parent yourself and there's that lovely tipping point of recognition of how would I do it better than them? And that's, why, that's how you learn. You learn through looking and recognizing, but without creating a space of judgment. So there's no victim, there's no procrastinator, there's no rescuer. You take all those away. Because mm. if you take away the victim, then there's, there's no need for the other two. You don't need to be rescued if you're not a victim. Mm. And you don't need to make your parents the kind of bad guys. You just do it as a process. Because then eventually they become, they become your children because when they're in their 80s and 90s and need looking after, then you willingly do that. Mm. Or not. But it's about accepting. What was the question? What are the best things you owe to your parents? The best things... There's no best things. I just, I am because of them. Mm. I, 
can't be here without them having been and made. And it's, you know, the same for all the ancestral generations all the way back. I'm only here because my great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother had that egg in her womb. Because my the egg that made me came from my grandmother, not from my mother. Mm. You know, my, my mother was just the housing, the container. Because mm. when my mother was born, the eggs were already, my egg was already inside of her, ready, waiting. So it's, it's, it's a whole, and that's the other thing is, understanding that whole ancestral line behind me and choosing you know, and recognizing what is what is their their stuff that i've inherited and is that mine no okay let's leave that there or is it mine do i like it no i don't like it let's put that there or is it mine and do i like it and does it serve me and is it going to help me yeah i'll, I'll keep it for now mm. What do you know about your ancestors beyond your great grandparents? Then um, I know, ba- I know, I know as far back as my great grandparents. Um, this is just a completely different era, and I know far much more about the males in the family because mm. of that generation. It was more of the males that were the producers of something, whereas the females were perceived as being just just the producers of the babies, of the children. And it's always this sort of like big families of, you know, 11 brothers and sisters. Mm. And I know very little about, but I only know a lot about my mother's side of the family. I know very little about my father's side. But instinctively, I know the traits in me that are from my mother's side, and I know instinctively the traits in me that are from my father's side. Right. Do you think much could inform, based on your somatic training and, and how things are are passed through the egg, and you say you were your grandmother's egg, um, do you think knowledge of, of your ancestors could inform more about yourself? Mm. Yeah, there's definitely an underlying, there's a knowing that we have within us. And then through that somatic experiencing, there's an even deeper knowing and an even deeper understanding. And then through conversations with my mother of asking her about how my grandmother was, there's a real understanding of where certain things come from. There's kind of, underlying sense of holding space uh, but of quiet anxiety and that was apparently very much how my grandmother was right Mm. so I I held on to the holding space because it's really a really good thing to be able to do but I got rid of the the anxiety thing (laughs) and that's what I'm saying I think for me it's all about better understanding yourself so that you can keep a hold of the traits that are of benefit to you and to others. 
And that's the whole point. It's no point me just being happy with myself because that's dull and boring. Mm. It's about helping others. If I can better understand myself first, then that enables me to help others understand themselves. And that has, from the five days where you were dying as you came out um, into the world, and can you describe your journey of learning that that has actually now become, by the sounds of things, your life's work? I think I'm I'm still in process of figuring out that, but I'm always I'm I'm very I've only been really aware of this since starting the somatic training. So I started that in two thousand and eight, and I suppose it's just been it's been throughout the whole training. But I would say there was pro, there was probably a, a kind of like a golden nugget moment in September of 2015 where we were I was in a, on a course and the teacher took us through a somatization which took us through that embryological development into your place upon this earth but not in kind of not in one of those rebirthing things mm. it was it was about it, the course is called senses and perceptions and it's about how you perceive coming into this world that's what the somatization was mm. and it was the first time that i actually bizarrely enough had that golden nugget drop moment of I felt what it felt like to be in that moment of not being comfortable with myself physically, feeling physical discomfort and not knowing the why. And I think that's probably a reflection of how I've felt most of the time. I felt a sense of discomfort, but not a knowledge of the why. Mm. And that's, that's what occurred from day one. And that was the point at which I suppose after that, after that experience, I let go of that, I suppose. There, there was a kind of, oh, I understand why now. Mm. And I, I, I can make sense of most of my life, therefore, as to why it is that I've always been so in need of attention and why I allowed things to escalate to a point of almost crisis to then get attention. Because that's the pattern, isn't it? It's like, I'm dying, I'm dying, I'm really dying, I'm going to die, I'm almost dead, operate, oh, I'm okay. And that's my kind mm. of pattern as well in life. And that's why I wanted to stop smoking, because I don't want to reach a point of crisis. Which it will come to. Mm. So I suppose it's changing that pattern of making it a gentler arc. So rather than this like, <gasps> boom, mm. which is my pattern since birth. 
You know, it's like all or nothing. It's no or yes. <laughs> mm. There's no gray in between. It's black or it's white. It's like da 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 da. And I'm very and and I, it, it's good because it helps me see very clearly. And I know very I know instantly as literally as a gut instinct. No pun intended, but it's always if I follow my gut, I'm absolutely fine. And if I don't, it's always gone very wrong. Mm. So it's that. It's a learning curve. So that informs me. Fantastic. And um, and so due to that, have you ever sabotaged your own success? Oh, yeah, loads of times. Totally. For fear of. Throughout. And But now that I know that, I, I stop the self-sabotage. And that's not necessarily easy sometimes, mm. but, yeah. Were you aware when you were doing it at the time? Back then, no. Only now with this understanding that I have now of myself. When did you gain that? Again, it was, it, it was from about, there was this kind of thunderbolt lightning moment in 2007, in November, where everything just suddenly shifted and changed. Mm. Would you say that was your biggest crisis leading up to crisis point? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. That's when my, I, I say that that's when my feet hit the bottom of the ocean mm. and you have a choice. You can either can just let your feet yield into that sand at the bottom of the ocean and just sink. Or you can push back out, raise to the surface and start swimming again. And it's a choice. And you didn't make that choice earlier. No. And it's almost like I didn't make the choice. It's, it, it, some, there was, I still, to this day, cannot understand what changed. But there was just this, it literally felt like a thunderbolt. I could feel just suddenly this drop, this bang. And I just thought... No, I'm not doing this anymore. Mm. This has to change. And that was scary. But the fear of the fear was greater than the fear itself. It's always that way. And I had no support in process. I had nothing. But I, I had me. And I just did it. Who has influenced your life the most? The most. I don't think there's the most. I have, I have teachers all the way along. Who's the first person that comes to mind? My parents come are the first people that come to mind. Mm. Um, with the frustration that my. Dad dies so young that I, there's there's not enough. I'd like I'd like to have more influence. So definitely my parents, because they've informed me how to be or not. Hmm. 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 
but then there's there's my sister because she informs me always how to live from my heart. She has the most just the most ridiculous beyond normal realms amount of love. Nuts. She may, I, I, I think it's only towards me. She's not the same with anybody else. So that's, that's good. Um, and then it moves into family, it, then it moves into friendships, and then it moves into teachers who taught me, you know, in an official way. But it's, it starts with parents. It's your first relationship. Mm. Those are the people that you learn from initially. Mm. And you can look outside of that, but if you can't reconcile yourself with that relationship with your parents, then you can't figure the rest out. Then the rest, otherwise, then the rest becomes information to overtake rather than information that informs. Maybe. To settle something and then, mm. yeah. Mm. In what respects are you still the same person you were as a child? Oh, I am totally six years old still. Most of the time. When I don't have my knowledge hat on, I'm an absolute six-year-old. And it's great. And it's really important to be that as well. Mm. Happily. Mm. Yeah, I'm six, I'm on the beach and I'm playing in the sand and it's great. And that's really important for me to... To, that's my that's my natural true essence and it's when I become too much of this adult with having to be tidy and organized and, and that I that, that I can I can see and I can feel that there's this turgidity in me it's like the fluid becomes a bit more mm. <laughs> um no do you think you'll be able to, uh, in future, run classes from a beach in potentially that Sicily? That would be so good. <laughs> I've got a space there. Um, it's a castle. It's not mine. It used to belong to my family. Mm. Down the generations. Um, so <clears throat> before this whole lockdown thing happened, we had planned in August of 2020 to run a week-long residential course there. Wow. Of, um, it was going to be like a, a four or five-day thing of body-mind centering. Still on the cards? Yeah, most mm. definitely. I just We just need to allow the world to open up. Mm. And realistically, I don't think that's possible, really, until maybe next summer. Mm. This summer's too soon. So 22, 23, let's see. But I'd like to start doing that. Mm. Again. Yeah. 
I can't can't wait to start things start happening again. <laughs> yeah, to get out. It's, it's, it's having the option, isn't it? You know. Mm. Once those options are taken away, it's yeah. You see, the lockdown kind of suited my fear of doing anything, going out and doing anything, and yeah. you know, it's like fine. I don't have to, but it is interesting that in the September of last year, which was very bizarre, um, because we the body mind centering courses could still go ahead because they're educational, that they are at university degree level, these courses or higher. So we were um, given permission by the government to continue running them. So we did run um, two courses in Edinburgh in September. And then we ran a course in London in December of last year. And we've been running courses this year throughout. But the one in Edinburgh in September, we were really quite at the height of everything, weren't mm. we? And I really wanted to do this because um, there are diff there are 11 courses on the first stage and there are 11 courses on the second stage of the training. And um, it was my favorite course, which is called Ontogenetic Development, which is how we develop from an embryo mm. through till the first year of life. And it's... Um, so beautiful and it's so soft and it's so informative and um you also get to work with babies which is just such a gem to have that kind of level of fresh raw life in your hands again potential yeah it's just beautiful so it's my very favorite course and, and of all the courses of all 22 courses that a run on the BMC spectrum. The ontogenetic one is the one that I've taught on or visited or assisted on the very most. So I got on a plane <laughs> to Edinburgh in the middle of this wow. pandemic lockdown last year. And it was so amazing to be above the clouds looking down on this earth that was riddled with this virus and yeah. from up there it all looks this, nothing's different and this is what i'm saying is it doesn't really there's nothing different happening you know there's no difference to what is occurring here upon this earth to what is occurring in a black hole and with everything imploding inwards it's just that you know it's our perception mm. what's significant or not yeah at the We're end of the, a, yeah. a, a microscopic exactly. speck, yeah. Mm. And and I think I'm right in saying is that there is, you know, there's asteroid dust and planet dust and mm. in every cell of us. Yeah. Mm. It's just perception. Mm. So that's why um, there's that kind of. Perception of everything is so personal. Be a tumbleweed or be ordered. Yeah. yeah. Or you could be an ordered tumbleweed. The dream. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to move towards being an ordered tumbleweed. Ordered tumbleweed. 
Who or what might have stopped you from realising your full potential? Who? Me. I'm the only person that can stop me from realising my full potential. Anything else is me allowing that and me believing that I shouldn't or I deserve. It's always down to me, myself and I. But there are angels. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, I always find that question fascinating. For years, I, you know, I always looking outwards. Somebody else is projecting onto somebody else. You know, but to have that confidence, knowledge to go, yeah, it's up to me. Who else knows you? Mm. You're the person you have the biggest, longest conversations with as well. So you're never going to have more of a dialogue with yourself than anybody else ever in your entire life. So it's always down to you and your patterns. It's just patterns. Behavior is just patterning. That's it. And we lose that patterning more and more and more as we age, which is why as we get older and older and older, we become more and more brazen and we just say no. Mm. And yes, and you just think, oh, she's so funny. But actually, no, there's something that changes in the chemistry of the neuroplasticity of the brain, as well as. Wow. (laughs) By which, I mean, this is where the dementia, I work a lot with people with dementia. Mm. Um, And just getting them to just be who they are and, and it, there is this process of, of dissemination and there is this process of change in their bodies. And in an adult body, they basically return to, there's this process over 18 months in dementia where you really see a return to where they are as a baby. Mm. And that also occurs um, not only in, every, in, in, this, in, the, in how they are and how they speak, but also in the motor skills and also in the reflexes. So by working with these people with dementia and supporting the motor skills and the reflexes and moving the body, it really does support this transition of how the brain is disseminating. Incredible. And just agreeing to speak complete twaddle. Because... Why not? Yeah. It's about making sense of it. When, when, when toddlers babble at you, they know exactly what they're saying. Mm. So it's the same with dementia patients and the people that I work with. They, they speak about things and it's in a very, very you know, what we see as a disordered way. Mm. But it makes perfect sense to them. Once again, the order against the... Uh, the or- yeah, maybe there is this... I need to look into that. Because mm. it's interesting how I have this desire to be clean and tidy and ordered, and yet my perfect place is a beach full of sand and sea and salt. 
and I have no desire to take it to remove that from my body and mm. most people that go to the beach go I don't like the sand in between my feet in it, and I love it mm. so there is some sort of balance in you mm. perhaps yeah mm. do you feel you live an ordinary or an extraordinary life I, I don't live in, um, it, it may, uh, no, neither. I don't label it. I'm not what people would, I'm not a normal person. If you, if there's a box for that, but that's fine. Too. I actually don't want to be. If I feel normal, I think this, I feel that that's where I've, haven't listened to myself. Hmm. If I'm if I'm fitting into a box of normality or you know normal extraordinary, it, it's um, it's a fitting in with. So I'm not listening. I think that's what that's what I really love about the body-mind-centering circles is that everyone is accepted regardless of how they are. It, mm. it does not matter. You can mm. be anything and everything in between. Each person has an equal voice. So I think that's why it works well for me as well. Mm. Andromeda, Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate you coming. Thank you very much. To me. It's been so amazing to speak to you. Thanks for the questions. No. I wasn't expecting any of those. If you enjoyed this interview with Andromeda, please give this video a thumbs up and make sure to subscribe to the channel for a new episode every Wednesday. If you're listening via the podcast, please give the show a review and a rating. I hope you enjoyed listening. Thank you.